Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Very, very well, thank you. That was a uh, hard-fought and excellent Oilers victory, 3-1 over the Winnipeg Jets. They outchanced them 15-8 on grade-A chances, but I, I think on when it comes to five-alarm chances, it might have been a little bit closer than that, although we don't officially record that, so I can't say with certainty. The Oilers were the better team tonight, uh, but the Jets were... They were battling hard all the way through. Very tough game. Lots of good to like, though, from the Oilers' performance, Bruce. You know, including that scoring chance ratio. I like to see them, the Oilers, get ahead. It's a signal signal to me that the Oilers are heading in the right direction, and I, I was encouraged by that, um, as well as just a, a very hard-fought performance uh, uh, where the Oilers were, most of their lines were click, clicking pretty good, I thought. I liked it. Yeah, it was a real tongue war. Eh? There was a whole lot of board battles, and a lot of them lasted for 10 or more seconds and involved like six or more players between the two teams. They were really going at it. And in both both end zones, like Edmonton had a lot of those, like Dry Side Line had a, a number of them uh, that Louis kept pointing out, uh, where they just kept the pressure on, and it was just these little skill plays to somehow keep possession of the bouncing, ever-bouncing puck. And, uh, you know, just keeping around the perimeter it didn't always result in anything in the middle, but it also didn't seem to result in in jailbreaks going the other way either. And Winnipeg, to their credit, they, they pushed us as hard in Edmonton's territory, and the Oilers were having trouble getting the puck over their line and doing their best to keep play to the outside as well. So it was uh, a Tong War kind of game as opposed to the... the uh, uh, exhibition of uh of skating that we saw on monday night very different yeah. style game same result Warriors allowed only one goal and uh, came out on top of winnipeg for the sixth time in a row all yeah. in regulation yeah some of those puck battles were so fierce bruce i almost expected to see bruce lee pop up and slam someone with his nunchucks there mm-hmm. uh let's go to our two good things Two bad things and two numbers. And because it's a, a inspirational Oilers victory, we will go with two good things each. What's your first good thing, Bruce? Well, I'm going to give a tip of the hat to Mikko Koskinen, uh, the big Finnish netminder who'd been sitting on the sidelines for quite a long time before uh, uh, getting the call tonight. I think his last game was in Ottawa uh, better part of three weeks ago now, wasn't it? I think it was on the Wednesday. Yeah, it was three weeks ago today. He started the first of the back-to-back in Ottawa, and he won that game 4-2. to two. And he came up, I thought, real strong. He made an absolutely great uh, save uh, after, a, after a Kulikov turnover right in front of the net. That's about two or three minutes into the game, maybe five. It was very early. And by all rights, it should have been one nothing Winnipeg right there. And Kostman came up with the enormous save. And I just thought he was solid, and especially in the third period, he faced 15 shots in the third. And once he was a little bit the author of his own um, uh, problems and that he kind of punted out a bad rebound from a bad angle shot, and then he had to make two great saves to bail himself out that time, and he made them. So no harm 
no harm done there, but uh, he bailed out uh, uh, a few other guys on on other occasions, and I just thought he was he was solid, cool, calm, and collected. Eh? The guy doesn't seem to get riled up, or uh, like he's very very different in temperament from uh, Smith. He's uh, he's a very good puck stopper. I mean, I miss Smith's puck handling a yep. lot now when I'm when he's not in that. But Koskinen. Uh, this is one of those games where, you know, he just was super solid in it. And we, we saw it, I think, more last year where, where where he would have those stretches where he just didn't look like he was going to get beat in games. And that's always a good feeling with with a goalie. He wasn't quite there at that level tonight, but he was he was very solid and um, came up with a huge save right at the end of the game in, on, on the power play there to keep it uh, to keep it close. I agree, Bruce. He now has a... In 22 games, Miko Koskinen has a 9.06 save percentage, and I note Jacob Markstrom in Calgary in 36 games has a 9.03 save Still, percentage. He's stuck for, there on nine. He seems to be at 9.03 every time we look him up. Bruce, the Oilers dodged two bullets this summer. I was just thinking this: um, the Mark Markstrom thing. Maybe mm-hmm. Mark, maybe Markstrom would be great from here on in. But you know, the first year of the contract has not worked out for Calgary. And, uh, but re- remember all the Oliver Ekman Larson talk this summer as well. And, um, Ekman Larson is not having, he's having, I, I think he's having what looks like another year in kind of a, a kind of a steady progression down from being an elite number one D man to being less than that. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't seen him play. Right. So I'm just going on his statistics, but they're, they're Okay. They're not that of the highest level defenseman who should be earning more than $8 million a year. So both of those things, I don't know how close they were on the Ekman-Larsen thing, but I didn't like it at the time. And uh, I didn't either. Yeah, I'm glad that didn't work out. All right, my my good thing, I'll start with the, uh, I'm going to start with that first goal, Bruce, the power play goal, the first uh, that the Oilers scored. And uh, the Oilers had been putting on a lot of pressure and um, kind of going after the Winnipeg, you know, as they do on the power play. And it was it was the two unsung, more unsung heroes of the power play who combined, really combined on this one. McDavid got the puck on the half wall, and he kind of fanned on his pass a little bit, I, th- I thought. But um, it went nice and slow, and Tyson Berry teed it up, as he, as he does now and then, and absolutely ripped it in the net. And uh, you know it's it's interesting. He's he's an oh, interesting player because he's not he is not beloved in Edmonton. You know we're all such we're all such little mini GMs that you know we're always thinking oh you know how much is he going to get paid and whose 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 spot is he taking in the lineup. Sometimes it's just good to like forget all that stuff and just just really appreciate what this player can bring. And did he ever wire that puck? He has a fantastic shot oh, now and that he unleashes. But but even better is an even more unsung hero, and another guy who gets gets um, the word upbraided for the amount of money that he makes, uh, even though really he doesn't make that much, uh, you know, by NHL standards. Alex Chase on Bruce, that was a total eclipse of the sun gold <laughs> screen. Truly was. There was yeah. he just totally blotted out the light for Carter Hellebuck. And there was no way if that puck was getting through, uh, uh, you know, in any kind of open space, there was no way he was going to move to make the save because that was a brilliant screen. And he's not a great big guy, Chase on. He's he's I think he's about six feet tall. So he's not like, um, oh, you know, he's way bigger than that, David. He's like six, three or six, four. He's a big. Oh, man. is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's big. Uh, 
Jeez. He's slow, but he's bad. That. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. Let me just, I'm just going to Google this. I guess I was, who's that big guy on uh, Arizona who used to always screen the goalie? He used to just drive me crazy. Remember that the Arizona, the Coyote, about three Hansel, or four. Hansel, Martin Hansel. Martin Hansel. Let's go, Alex Chase on a hockey DVD. Maybe you're at 6'4". He's a big guy. Anyway, he... Anyway, uh, he, heck of a screen. 6'4", oh, you're right, Bruce. I am incorrect. Well, there you go. I didn't even know that. I thought he was... Like, you, that's six, that's six, how he gets in those tall goalie's eyes, is he's pretty tall himself. But uh, in this case, uh, the goalie was a little lower down, and I, and the Winnipeg guy was kind of battling with him a little bit in front. I said to my wife, all Hellebuck saw there was four big blue butt cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see that see those in his dreams and not in his videos. <laughs> uh, okay, what's your second good thing, Bruce? Oh, uh, um, my second good thing. Uh, oh yeah, uh, the Forgotten Man. I almost forgot him again. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Ryan. Nugent Hopkins, who had a very strong game and has had now, I think, three pretty good games since he came back from uh, uh, from getting dinged up there in Ottawa three weeks ago. Uh, and he missed some time and, and uh, he came back and he scored in his first game. And then he had a great brilliant assist last uh, on Monday uh, on the two-on-one where he stole the puck off of Forbert and raced in on the two-on-one and fed the pass. I mean... Leon put the puck in the net there, but Nuge literally did everything else on that play. And uh, tonight, uh, an assist and a goal, something of a road assist, just doing what he does on the power play. You know I, how he's on the left wall and he wheels the puck through the center point and it goes to the guy on the right wall, which is either McDavid or Dreisaitl, and it goes back to the guy in center point. And that's what happened here was it went uh, Nuge to Barry to McDavid, back to Barry, and that was when Barry slammed it home. So, you know, just a assist for doing his job. And uh, what the second one, like the game-winning goal uh, on a wicked shot through the legs, through the feet of Dylan DeMello, and past a screened uh, collar Hellebuck right inside the post. Uh, very good hard shot and well-placed shot. And uh, after dinging the both the post and the crossbar last game. Maybe he was due to have one that found the good side of the post, and this one did, and it came just uh, a minute and 51 seconds after Winnipeg had tied it, and Edmonton uh, seized back the initiative with the 2-1 lead that they basically held all the rest of the way. So it was a huge game-turning goal, the game winner. And uh, Nuge did other Nuge-like things, and... Uh, uh, four shots on net on the night, two hits even. And uh, he, uh, uh, I thought he lost a couple of board battles, but uh, but he's so good with the stick, you know, they'll snake the puck out there and make good plays with it as well. So uh, overall, I thought a strong game for uh, Dude. It'll be interesting to see how Kurt grades him, but uh, uh, a very promising, uh, good thing style performance. Uh for my second good thing, I'm going to go, Bruce, with that uh, final penalty kill. Yamamoto's in the box with about uh, four and a half minutes, five mm-hmm. minutes left. And um, it just started, it just everything, most everything went well. It wasn't a perfect kill, but it was close to perfect. 
uh, under great pressure. So I, they didn't show it because they were busy showing Yamamoto in the penalty box, but I'm pretty sure Drysaddle won that initial faceoff and they cleared it down the ice. Yep. Next time, uh, Bear comes down and, and pressures hard and they, and they, I, I, they get it out uh, on a bad Winnipeg pass. Then Nurse wins the puck and clears it down the ice. Darnell Nurse just had, he had a clean sheet tonight, not one mistake on a great A chance against. Great A chance against. And just another one of, of his ga- games, Bruce, that is putting him in uh, Norris Trophy contention. Um, then, we, then we have Mikko Koskinen coming up with the, the save of the game um, on a crossing pass uh, down low. And he, uh, he, he's in front of it. He makes the save. The best win I thought of the uh, the best battle one was Adam Larson. Then wins one behind the net, just crunches a guy out, rubs him out, and um, then RNH is allowed to clear it. Comes in again, and then we have a great hustle plays from Nurse and Archibald to f- uh, force passes, and Haas clears it. Mm-hmm. And then it's then it's the whole thing culminates just the way you want a penalty to end with Nugent Hopkins fi- finding Yamamoto on a breakaway pass. So. Uh, that is, that was a gritty, it wasn't perfect penalty killing, but, um, the goalie was there when he needed to be oh, and everyone did the their jobs. Right? He, he sure is, Bruce. That was a great <laughs> penalty kill. And, and, uh, you know, nurse, it's interesting. He, he, you know, he's featuring in this Bruce and I was, I was watching him closely tonight. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, I just think there's a tendency and, and I think I've shared it this year to underestimate him as a player. And we're always, you know, especially you and I, we're actually are looking for their their mistakes. We record them, uh, their major mistakes. So we're looking for those things, and and we we put a lot of emphasis on that. But I was just watching him tonight. He just made great play after great play, and he and he and he's doing so rather effortlessly. NHL.com is is running a series now every week, where they they rank the um, trophy winners for each division. Right. And last week, uh, so there's five guys who vote. And last in each week, division, yeah. in each division. So last week, uh, Nurse got four out of five first place votes with Petrie getting one for the Canadian division for the North. This week, Bruce, he got five out of five unanimous selection as the best defenseman in the North division. There was only one other, other defenseman, Victor Hedman of the Tampa Bay Lightning, who was also five out of five uh, first place votes. They're the only two unanimous um, guys. So it, that, that, that actually, it just kind of woke me up like, these are outside observers. And they are saying Darnell Nurse is a Norris Trophy, a legit Norris Trophy candidate this year. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to dig into the, some of, the, some of the, the basic numbers around this. And um, what I do, there's, I don't think there's any kind of perfect statistical way to come up with who's the best defenseman. Because there's no statistic that that measures adequately, fairly and accurately, defensive prowess, which is a huge part of any defenseman's game. It's just silent. So on a player like Adam Fox, how are you going to judge that really? Like, I know people think they have a way. I just don't, I don't buy it. I think it's largely, the the numbers that we have, including all the plus minus numbers for goal, shot, scoring, they're, they're all just a little, they don't, they're kind of silent on that kind of thing. But there are some indicators like time on ice, overtime on ice, Short-handed time on ice. If you're out there a lot of short-handed time on ice, your coach obviously trusts you. If you're out there in overtime a lot, that says something. Power play points, even strength points, even strength time on ice. And I also include even strength shots 
in this to kind of give an added boost for getting the puck on net, which is a which is a, a unique skill, which is important. And when if you go by all of those categories of stats, Bruce Victor Hedman is the top, he ranks the top defenseman in the. So what, are you, what are you doing? Number You're two, taking their ranking in each of the categories and then yes. adding up the rankings. Correct, and yeah, dividing right. by six. There's six categories, I believe, right. and then you so you just what's yeah. the ranking? So, for instance, Hedman's number one in power play points this year, right. and his low category is he's 26th for overtime time on ice. So you so you rank them all and then take the average ranking. So when you do that, Victor Hedman is number one. this year, rising from number 18 last year to number two this year is Darnell Nurse. So this isn't a perfect way to pick a Norris Trophy candidate, but I, when, when you have numbers screaming out at you like that, when you have outside observers telling you, hey, this guy is a Norris Trophy candidate, I think, I think we should accept in Edmonton, he is having a Norris quality, uh, Norris, uh, he's a Norris contender this year. I don't think he's the best defenseman in the NHL above Hedman. I, I, I wouldn't say that, but... He is having a very special year, and I think we should uh, celebrate that. So I'm gonna, and I saw that tonight in his game, a defenseman worth celebrating. Yeah, well, he had, I mean, just by the numbers tonight, uh, an assist uh, on a, on his great shot block uh, that led to the empty net goal. You know, getting in front of a of a, a good shot from the high slot and. A, you know, the rebound went to McDavid, and he found Drysdale. Obviously, happy endings, but uh, the puck doesn't go to McDavid if Nurse doesn't make that important block first. And he made a big shot block on that penalty kill as well. And on the night, he had uh, uh, three shot blocks. He had four hits. He had four uh, shot attempts. You know, was, I mean, he's a, he's he's a high event player. He's all over the. Uh, he's all over the uh, event summary. And, uh, you know, this year he's uh, just clicking this again. He is number two in the NHL in goals by defenseman. Jacob Chikrin is up to 16. Boy, nice. He's really, uh, I don't see that player, but man, Jacob, he, Jake, um, on, the, on my ranking system here, Bruce, Jacob Chikrin mm-hmm. finished fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, he's obviously uh, come into his own this year as a as a hockey player. I mean, the, so here's the top five: Hedman, Nurse, John Carlson, Chris Letang, Jacob Chikrin, followed by Roman Yossi, Jeff Petrie, Devin Taves, Brent Burns, and Alex Pietrangelo. So, so that's my, some pretty damn fine defensemen, if you ask me. Yeah, that's and, and that's even, why even the ones that you wouldn't expect on the list that are Devin Taves, for yeah. example, is a guy who's way better than is generally known. Like that that's guy's. Right. Real good player. Colorado did a real great job to get him out of New York Islanders, and uh, uh, he's a he's a solid player. But you know that what your list I think does very well indeed is it picks out the guys who are trusted by their coaches, which I think is the fundamental nature. What it doesn't do is say, well, on a certain team, like maybe on on Arizona, Jacob Chikrin's the only real choice that. Uh, uh, a coach there has, and, and some might say, well, here in Edmonton, at least on left defense, Darnell Nurse is so far above everybody else that whatever the situation, the coach is going to trust him first. So how how good is he really? You know. So, but in terms of what's being asked of the guy, absolutely, he belongs on the short list of that. Because hey, I think your list identified some some pretty heavy workhorse style of players, and that certainly describes Darnell Nurse. It does a good job of identifying who the coach trusts, which can be a uh, 
proxy for defensive prowess, but really what it, <laughs> it covers off, off offensive contribution pretty well, I think. Pretty confident of that. What it doesn't do is, except to the extent that shorthanded time on ice and even strength time on ice are, are a proxy for defensive prowess, it doesn't really cover off that. But you're right, Bruce. When I made this list, I, I was adding stats and subtracting them because I was just trying to come up with actually the names that made sense. That I made it first time last year. You know, something that really truly passed the smell test that didn't have any weird names there that you know that are you know players who aren't considered good defensemen. So I don't know if that's a good way to, to create a, a stat Facebook, or okay. not, but it seemed to work. Yeah, I didn't want to didn't want to have that. You know, like. Uh, you know, uh, what's the guy's name? You know, that John Merrill guy, right? Like if you went by on ice numbers last year, John Merrill was in the top 10 of NHL defensemen. And I just think like, no, that that doesn't pass the smell test in any way. So that that was my goal was to get a list just right. by not using numbers, nothing else, just numbers that, that would actually identify players who are really, really strong. Well, this year you're one step removed in that instead of looking for... Um Looking for categories that will produce the list, uh, you know, that might favor the guy you're featuring. You're actually using last year's method and finding out that this year, the guy you're writing up has moved way up the charts. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, he's with Oscar Kleffbaum being gone. The, the opening was there for, and oh yeah, this is the other thing I didn't mention. 26 minutes and 50 seconds for Nurse tonight, which is just another night at the office for Darnell. But that's a hell of a night's work in the National Hockey League. Oscar Clefbaum finished 14th on this list last year, mm -hmm. um, so uh, he did very well. Bruce, what's your uh, what's your bad thing tonight? Yeah, uh, I'm going to single in on secret agent Dmitry Kulikov, who had uh, was directly involved in in maybe the two best or uh, two of the three or four best uh, scoring opportunities that Winnipeg had tonight, and marginally involved maybe in another one or two. But two absolutely horrendous, sinful turnovers. Uh, one where he had all day behind the net with the puck, and he waited too long, and then he decided to skate out in front of his own net with the puck against two guys. I mean, that's always going to end well, right? And so, of course, they stripped him of the puck, and one guy passed to the other guy, and somehow, some miracle, uh, Koskinen kept it out, and I was that the one that hit him and then it hit his other foot and then it went right through the crease? Anyway, it was like, yeah. how, did he, how did he possibly keep that out? One of those kind of saves. And that was huge early in the game. Uh, and then on the uh, on the Winnipeg goal early in the second period, and, and he you know he had full control of the puck in the corner and he made the, uh, he had his other partner, because he's a left, they're both left defensemen. There was some kind of change going on. He tried to make a casual-looking no look pass to nurse in the corner and it got intercepted and once it did well both defensemen were in the corner and uh the jet that got the puck sent a pass into the slot for the uh wide open shot and the guy picked the corner and crossman uh, wasn't able to to bail him out that time but they were just brutal turnovers like you you know the whole point of getting veteran reliable defensemen is to not make plays like that yeah, I don't want to. I, I don't want to be too hasty to judge here, so I'll, I'll try mm -hmm. to restrain myself. Yeah. But Bruce, this is my memory of Kulikov from the Jets, yeah. and, and I know a lot of people were really excited by this trade, and they were looking at his, this number, that number, and saying, "Well, he's a really good player, and he's one of the you know this, that, and the other thing." I was thinking, "Oh, well, I want to see. I want to wait and see," 
because I had this memory from the of him with the Winnipeg Jets where he made plays like this. And mm-hmm. so, you know, but again, second game with a new team. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, partners, especially passing new, mistakes. Yeah, new systems, new everything. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to continue to withhold judgment. They got to mm-hmm. keep playing him. I mean, mm-hmm. it's good they have Chris Russell in the background, right? right. Um, if Chris Russell, we don't know if Chris Russell's hurt or not, banged up a little bit, getting a rest here. It's hard to know, but uh, keep playing Kulikov. I'm glad they're playing Jones. Caleb Jones yeah. looks better every game uh, in the last few games. He's playing. He's, he's starting to really move the puck well. He's starting to look like, like you know he's got his mojo back, like that Caleb Jones that I've seen in the past, who's who is a really good hockey player. So I'm glad they're playing Jones. Let's I, 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 let's just see how Kulikov does in the next little while. Now, on the bright side, Kulikov really rocked a couple of guys. Man, he does. He is a hard rock player, and him and Larson together are a pretty fearful sight. But I thought overall on this game that Larson covered off for Kulikov a lot more than the other way around. And so it's, you know, again, as always, when I say my bad thing is Dmitry Kulikov, I'm yeah. my bad thing is Dmitry Kulikov's performance in this game and specifically in these couple of plays that you know, could have turned the game against the Oilers. So, uh, but yeah, I'm still looking forward to watching him play and see what he's got. And I'm pretty sure it's better than that. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, Bruce. Yeah. Uh, you know, we might have like a, there's a couple former Oilers defensemen that come to mind, maybe like Ulanov and Grabishkov. He's kind of a mix between the two, but I hope it's the good qualities of both rather than the bad. But our we friend, shall see. Our friend Tom Barrett used to, Referred to Dennis Grabishkov as uh, a double agent. Ninety-five percent of the time, he was a good NHL defenseman. The other five percent, he was a secret agent for the other team. It's <laughs> <laughs> one, one of my favorite lines. Marvelous line. description. Yes. Yes, because that was Grabishkov. It, it really was. There'd just be these mistakes, like Kulikov made tonight. And uh, anyway, well, let's just hope it's a one-time thing, or not that often, because every defenseman's going to make mistakes. They all do. It's a really hard position. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce, my bad thing is the final scoring chance of the game for the Winnipeg Jets, the power play chance. Uh, is it, the, is it the final? Yeah. Um, I guess we tapped, oh, excuse me. It was sure, right? We have, I think we have a mistake in our coding, Bruce. Was it not uh-huh. sure that allowed the, the grade A through him? Was it sure or was it Nuge or was it both? We have 93, yeah. allowed, but I think it was. Yeah, or, or was it, uh, I have RNH allows diagonal crossing pass. Maybe it was. So I'll have to review that. It was either Shore or, or RNH. They're up there up top, and I can't I mm-hmm. can't remember right now who it is. Um, no, it was Nuge. It was Nuge, okay. Yeah. yeah anyway. I just reviewed the, this one. The hallmark, thanks, the hallmark of a terrible penalty kill is allowing that diagonal crossing pass. That, that When the owners were a terrible penalty killing team that's what they allowed and the last thing i wanted to see was that and i have to admit when, when i see new gen shore out there together those are the that's the partnership that i'm thinking okay can we get through this little period of time here because i don't i don't i think Nuge is a pretty good pk guy i'm not so sold on shore i'd much rather see george kara Nuge and kara so, is the pair yeah that's they're not bad yeah maybe shore should have been down in the middle of the ice by then too but they just allowed it to, to to make that slicing through the zone down low to two players who who made it. There was a nice little drop pass there and a very very dangerous shot, and it easily could have been a goal against 
And um, I know that the you can't always stop that, but when the Oilers' penalty kill was so fantastic last year, Bruce, they really did cut down on that and hardly ever allowed that kind of pass. And the, the whole goal of the PK is to not to funnel the puck outside, allow outside shots, even outside zone penetration, but don't allow that play. And um, so they'll be reviewing that on video tomorrow, I'm sure. It was good execution also by Winnipeg. Yeah, damn straight. Okay, your number. Yeah, well, I'm going to go with the number uh, 41. Uh, I was going to say 40, which is a real milestone. Uh, but by the end of the game, it was up to 41. And that's points by uh, um, rental defenseman Tyson Barry uh, this season. Through 47 games now, Barry, seven goals, 34 assists, uh, 41 points. And... Uh, that places him among the league leaders. But you know what? I have a list here. This is Oilers defenseman since uh, since 2009 to this season, so the last 12 years. So in 2008-09, they had Sheldon Surrey that had 53 points, 23 goals, 53 points. And they had um, Tom Gilbert that had 45 points. So but since 2009, after McTavish left to now, long time uh highest scoring always defenseman darnell nurse 41 points in 82 games uh two seasons ago tied with him tyson berry 41 points in 47 games and then no other order defenseman clefbaum had 38 one year a lot of power play points Sekera had 35 and they had a whole bunch of guys in the low 30s and almost all of them played 80 or 75 games uh, to get those points, and then uh, just down at the at the bottom of the list, the thirty point guys, we have Darnell Nurse from this season, thirty points in just the same forty seven games, and in fact Nurse has the most goals this season of any Oilers defenseman since Surrey, but uh, sticking with Barry, I understand that assist was his three hundred. That's a that's a nice number, and. He made two like unconventional but important sliding defensive plays in this game where he, he, he went down and he took out very dangerous passes in tight to the net. One of them he was making up for his own blunder from earlier in the play. I said to my wife, there's the old Paul Schmier because uh, Paul Schmier used to be famous for making some kind of catastrophic giveaway and then making some hero play to, 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 to wipe out the scoring chance that... that that uh, might result from it, and that was that was one of those. But the other one, he was cleaning up somebody else's mess, as I recall. And like I say, unconventional. He is not a great defensive player. Uh, but guess what? He's a pretty darn good offensive player, and he's been a good <laughs> offensive player for a while. He had he had 59 and 57 points his last two seasons in Colorado. 59 points, and uh, so he's up to he's up to 41. His next point will be the most for an Oilers defenseman in over a decade. And he's here for a year, you know. He's here on a, on a, a one-year show-me contract, and he's shown us, you know. He can score points. He can he can be involved in NHL offense and, uh, and, and contribute to a successful team. So it's, it's, I'm going to rant a little bit here because I, I got in this discussion online yesterday with a couple of well-meaning fans who were ripping on Barry's stats and how McDavid somehow did better without 
Barry than he does with him. And I pointed out that Barry has been in on 25 of McDavid's points this season, far more than any other, probably more than any other player except Leon. And there's all this talk about how he gets, you know, these cheap second assists. And sure, they look cheap second assists. Well, last year there was all this talk about how the Oilers desperately need a defenseman who could pass the friggin' puck up to the forwards and get it to McDavid and get it to Drysaddle. How? Oh man, why can't we get a defenseman who can pass him the puck? And now they got one. And all I hear is all oh, cheap second assists. All he did was pass it to McDavid, and McDavid did the rest. Well, yeah. And, you know, I mean, 3.75 million, one year, and yet all this fear is, well, Holland's going to sign him eight by eight or whatever, you know. And just, just take a chill pill. Let's enjoy the guy. It was a great signing for the one year. He's delivered the goods. There was zero chance that he was ever going to get traded at the trade deadline like some people wanted to see. And it, it would have been disastrous. I mean, what does it say if Ken Holland brings on a free agent for, for a year the guy performs well, the team does well, and he dumps him at the deadline. What's the next free agent going to say? You know? So, anyway, that's... Uh, uh, it bugs me sometimes when Oilers fans don't support Oilers players. Like, you know, I'm an Oilers fan. I pull for all the Oilers players. So yeah. Happy to admit it. You know, the Wowie numbers are interesting, and they, and they mm-hmm. you, you know, they, you... you People should put some weight on them, but some people use them like this ends the argument. Absolutely. Like this is the definitive. In, this is the definitive. It's not that. It's this isn't Wowie numbers. Like it's not like, it's not like there's tennis partners. Like when A is paired with B, and then when A is paired with C. Like there's not just two players here. We're talking about when when McDavid is with Barry, he's with three other players. And over time, it's not just three other players. It's dozen. It's a dozen other players. And when they're apart, there's all of the activities of these a dozen other players factored in. There's a lot of chaos in there, uncertainty, and especially over a small sample size. So if you're putting, if you think you've won the argument by pulling that out, I just don't, you know, it doesn't resonate with me because it's, it, that's not how it works. It's Hockey is a much more chaotic game and, and the wowie numbers, it's not as simple as McDavid without Barry. It's McDavid without Barry and then with a dozen other players in this situation. Anyway, it's just, I just... Uh, that not argument, to mention the opponents. And, not to mention you know, the five other opponents. And sometimes you're with the player and he's injured. Other times he's not injured. You know, you know, oh. with McDavid <laughs> when he's hurt, with Barry when he's not hurt. Factor all that in as well. You know, there's so much going on uh, that you need to be careful about uh, about that kind of argument. And uh, big picture is the guys putting up putting up the points and the owners are putting up the wins. And tonight was second time from three games in Winnipeg that uh, that Barry got. Got uh, two points on the power play, and the Oilers won a low-scoring game. Yeah. So it's nice to have that extra offense from the blue line, I say. Darn tootin', Bruce. And, you know, there, there's talk about, you know, I hear Bob Stoffer and the Oilers say things like, you know, Evan Bouchard will be on the team next year with a great yep. deal of certainty. And I, I think we can all agree, like, that's that makes sense. You know, there's only so much money in this modern NHL. And Evan Bouchard is has incredible offensive gifts, but um, Tyson Berry's a damn good player. And if he was with the Oilers for two or three more years, I wouldn't mind that at all. You know, if, if, if it could work out somehow because he can make plays with the puck. I don't see him, um, you know, I, I see some other team wanting him more and paying him more at this point because the Oilers do have Evan Bouchard. But if they didn't have Evan Bouchard, it would be a different story. And we'd be pretty pleased to have Tyson Berry as a member of the Edmonton Oilers. 
Well, hey, here's a scenario that nobody has talked about. Uh, they've talked about it for other players. Uh, but sometime just before the expansion draft, a week or so before, uh, the Seattle Kraken have a three-day, I think it is, window to talk to the unrestricted free agents from other teams yeah, and sign an unrestricted free agent from another team. And if they do that, they get that guy, but then they don't get to pick another player off of that team. Oh, nice. So if they were to come in and pick uh, pick up Nugent Hopkins, which we've heard a little bit of talk about Nugent or Larson maybe getting signed by the Kraken that way, uh, if the orders try and finesse them through the draft. Well, Tyson Berry is on that list, and if I'm Seattle, I'm looking at him. I mean, he's a... a, a I'm not sure I want to say elite offensive defenseman, but man, those points, like year after year, the guy puts up the points. He must be doing something right to get all those points. And he, you know, he gets them on the power play and he gets some at even strength. And he's, uh, you want an offensive defenseman? Well, that's what he is. He plays offense like he's a real, real, uh, real rover and, and uh, you know, um, a different kind of player for sure. But uh, but he makes things happen. Eighth in power play scoring for NHL Demon. So um, that's not bad. Yeah, you know, he, I, I've, I've, at times, I don't have any hair to pull out, but I, I would be pulling out sometimes over his defensive play. Yep. It, it is. He no is argument. he is the matador some nights. He he wears the matador's cape and uh, swings it as the bull's going by. But uh, he, when he's when he's moving that puck sweetly, it's it's uh, very nice to see. Bruce, my number tonight is 1.77. That's the a number of points that Connor McDavid has to average in the last nine games to hit 100 points. 16 points he need, 1.77 per game. Now, what this means is, Bruce, he no longer has to be super-duper human to make 100 points. He just has to be his normal superhuman self because he's averaging 1.79 per game. So he, he can actually... It doesn't actually work because we're dealing in fractions. He's got to get 16 points, uh-huh. but, but he he can just be he just has to stick to his seasonal average, and he will he will reach that target of 100 points, which would be spectacular. Like I, I like I I know that you know our our friend Murdoch Davis was was telling us uh, um, my former editor at the Journal was saying you know you, you know let's be reasonable here. You should take time off, rest, don't go at least or at least don't play him too hard in games, all that stuff, which is which is all very reasonable and smart. But man, would I love to see him score 100 points this season. It would be a spectacular feat in such a shortened season. So I'm, I've got well, my he, fingers crossed. He's got 15 points in his last five games. So he needs 16 in his last nine games. Well, Possible. You know, he's got, yeah, yeah. So Sportsnet, by the way, they they made a they made a mistake tonight, and they they continually made it. Fact checker Bruce, the rescue here. They were talking about McDavid scoring three plus points in four straight games, and then tonight making it five. But that was in fact incorrect. Uh, Connor scored two in Winnipeg uh, um, ten days ago in the three nothing shutout win. Then he scored three each in both games against Montreal, and then he got four in Winnipeg, and then three more tonight. So he didn't get three in all five games, just the last four in a row. So, which is pretty impressive. But they uh, they seem to think he had four three pointers in a row, and it was two, three, three, four. So 
whatever that's worth. Yeah, it, it was nice to see him get that empty netter tonight, was it not? Because yes. empty net assist. <laughs> that was very, very sweet. You know what? Tonight, um, you know, he was in on some good chances, but the ones that ended up as goals, like there's a flub pass to Barry. There's kind of a, a second assist on Nuge's. I don't know if it was a second assist on Nuge's goal, but it wasn't like a spectacular. It was a rote pass on the power play. And then there was a, um, you know, fairly straightforward pass on the uh, empty net goal. So there weren't, they weren't on great plays, but there's been enough great plays where he hasn't got a point that he he's owed a few of those to say the least. Yep. So uh, I was, uh, I'm just uh, hoping he does it. And uh, the chances just keep going up or he just has to be his normal self and he'll do it. So. That would be yeah, good. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, he, he's he's Gretzky in that he can have a game where you say, well, he didn't do as much as you maybe expected in that game. And you look at the score sheet and, oh, look at he got three assists. You know? <laughs> and that, that was, I mean, tonight, compare, he wasn't the dominant, uh, you know, ballerina on, on skates tonight that he was on Monday night. But he still, you know, found ways to contribute to the Oilers, uh, well, all of the goals, so. He still made major contributions to six grade A chances, so that's that's pretty good. We have high expectations of Connor McDavid. Bruce, what did you make? I don't know if you saw John Shannon in this. I think it was the second period, talking about the number one signing the Oilers have to make this summer. It's not Adam Larson. Excuse me, it is Adam Larson. It was not Ryan Nugent Hopkins. It's not Tyson Berry. It's not Mike Smith. It's Adam Larson, and mm-hmm. I just I, I agree with that. What did you think of it? Uh, well, I, was, I didn't actually see. I, I heard the tail end of it, so I missed the part about the signing of him. But uh, no, that's he, the number one priority is signing yeah, him okay. for Holland. I, yeah. But I heard him waxing poetic about Adam Larson. I, I tend to agree. I, I, you know, I, I, my my old goalie's heart adores bruising defensemen <laughs> that make opponents pay, and <laughs> and Larson does that with uh, with. Uh, 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 what's the term? Uh, without prejudice, he just whoever it is on the opposing team, he'll run the guy and he'll, uh, uh, you know, he'll take him out and, and you know mostly legal, but in you know on the rough edges of the rules is where he plays uh, his most effective game. And there was one jet tonight who was getting under people's skins a little bit, and it was uh, uh, who the heck was that guy? Uh, Appleton. And I noticed uh, Larson rubbing him out a couple of times with sort of a little extra elbow grease, so to speak. <laughs> you, see, you know that show BattleBots, Bruce, where they have these robots who fight each other and like all of a sudden fire will come out of one of the robots or an arm that slices the other one up? Like that is like Adam <laughs> Larson out there. He's got like, sometimes he, he puts in fire mode and <laughs> roasts the guy. Up. And other times he gets out the, the blade <laughs> and starts chopping him to pieces. Whatever, he just, he... He and he is such a smart defensive hockey player. He is the easily and in in the defensive end, he is a better defenseman than Darnell Nurse this year. He he is just such a positional player. He he will he's not perfect. They all get beat. He gets beat, but he gets beat fewer than anyone else, less than anyone else this year. And it's because he's always almost always in the right position. And he, he knows how to get his body in the right position to lever you into the boards in in very uh, hostile fashion. So I agree with John Shannon. I, I, 
I think that he that is a priority signing. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if he makes close to what he's making now. You know, we've heard a number less than that. But as, if players play well, you know, and then all the bets are off, Bruce. If they do well in the playoffs, if they win a couple rounds in the playoffs, that's, you know, that'll be glorious, of course. But it will have serious <laughs> salary cap implications uh, for a lot of the different players. Yeah, I remember when the Oilers took that gamble in 97 with Luke Richardson. And they could have traded him at the deadline that year. And they said, oh, no, you know, we're going to do our own self-rental and keep him for the playoffs. And, of course, they beat Dallas in the first round of seventh game overtime and and uh, got to the second round of the playoffs. And Richardson played really well. But uh, that was at the time where the Oilers simply could not afford to get into bidding wars over any player. So he, he was gone. So technically, Larson's in that position. I, I mean, as is... Tyson Berry, as is Ryan Nugent Hopkins. They got, you know, they got a uh, a few guys that are uh, uh, that are um, they have to make decisions on. And if it comes down to choosing, I mean, I, I said nice things about Tyson Berry, but I'm talking about Tyson Berry. It's here now with his one-year contract next year, and and what he might command on the open market changes the equation. And if it's a one-year and he's gone, well. Good luck, Tyson, wherever it is that you go, and that could be, you know, that could be the way that uh, Evan Bouchard gets his spot. In the meantime, he's had a year to, to, uh, you know, some would say spin his wheels or cool his heels, or uh, live in the NHL environment and, and learn and watch and get tips from, uh, you know, successful offensive defenseman Tyson Barry, among others, and uh, be a little bit more ready to be a full timer next year. And, I think if they made up their mind to sign Larson sooner rather than later might be the best bet um, because this team could have a little playoff run that will inflate everybody's price. So if, and I don't you know if you want to be, them, you'd have to protect him. And that means you're going to lose, you know, you're, you're going to lose one of Lagasin or Jones. Um, although uh, I guess the beat writer for the athletic for Seattle was suggested Tyler Benson. Mm-hmm. might be the mm-hmm. pick, I, I, which which I thought was interesting. But I think if a team, depends if they have a lot of defensemen or not. It depends what they need. But if if they can get Jones or Lagasin, I would see them going with that over Tyler Benson. Anyway, you're right. Like there's, there's all of these different considerations. Um, I would prefer that they lock them up because um, I think it'll the price will be less. So that's something else to consider. I think what they'll want to do is, is have a pretty firm idea where they're going with Oscar Kleffbaum. And if it's a situation where uh, if they, they think for sure he's coming back and they have to protect him and they've also got um, obviously Nurse and, and Bear and a bunch of forwards that uh, they might try and finesse him through the expansion draft. And if they decide, no, Oscar is, is just not going to be ready and, you know, we don't think Seattle's going to pick him because it's too risky, so we're going to we're going to take the gamble of leaving him exposed, so that leaves us room to sign and protect Adam Larson. I mean, that's one train of thought. There's a window after the expansion draft and before the UFA period, I believe. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can get through the expansion draft, then sign Larson before yes. the UFA period. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, We'll see what happens. Yeah, I yeah. I hope he stays. Well, Holland's got a few things in his plate, and uh, uh, guess what? He's not managing NHL 
21 on his Xbox, he's uh, dealing with real flesh and blood human beings, <laughs> yes. including agents and other GMs. Like it's a complex, uh, complex old world out there. And so sometimes you have to sort of let the tumblers fall in place. Let's find out about Oscar first, then make our next move. That could be exactly where he is right now. And yeah, fair enough, Bruce. Fair enough. Yeah, he got through last summer without pulling the trigger on Markstrom or Ekman Larson. So mission accomplished. All right. Let's leave it there, Bruce. We'll be talking again tomorrow tomorrow night. Thanks for yeah, talking back to back. Back yeah. to back. Flames tomorrow. So yeah. for now, one last thing. The Oilers are now three ahead of Winnipeg with two games in hand. Winnipeg has only seven left and the Oilers nine left. And that puts them in very strong position to uh, to finish in second place and start the playoffs at home. I really like their odds now. Jets really miss Oilers right now. All right. Thanks again, Bruce. Thanks for talking. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.